0: This is what God's Word says, beginning in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside... You are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that your spirit would... Help us to not only comprehend, but to embrace the truths that have been laid out for us in your word. Please speak to us. We desire this morning that we would not simply hear the voice of a preacher, but that we would hear your voice speaking to us as your word is expounded. Give us ears to hear for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The word religion is a term that evokes a lot of different sentiments. And in our day and age, uh, it's a term that is uh, loaded with quite a bit of baggage. But strictly speaking, strictly speaking, the word in and of itself simply means devotion or dedication to something or someone transcendent, namely God. It just means devotion to God. And so in its purest original sense, religion is a beautiful term because it underscores the spirit of true comprehensive worship of God in the hearts of men and women. And so used in this sense, well, there is only one true religion because there's only one true God whom we are to worship with this wholehearted passion and allegiance that is to permeate every aspect of our lives. And this is why the Bible is not afraid to use the word religion in its proper context. For instance, James chapter 1 verse 27 talks about religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father, which is indicated by love for all kinds of people and the pursuit of true, authentic holiness. And so technically, religion is not inherently an unsavory word loaded with bad connotations however it's one of those words at least in our modern day and usage of it that has so far strayed from its original meaning that it has become unrecognizable and effectively become unsalvageable because the terminology has been hijacked by what the apostle paul calls in colossians chapter 2 verse 23 self-made religion or to put it another way man-made religion this is what we predominantly mean and think of when we use the word religion today that it's just a dead religion of man-made customs and rules and traditions and this is what the bible is opposed to This is what Jesus is vehemently opposed to, as we see time and time again in the gospel records of how he regularly lambasted the Pharisees who were the quintessential representatives of lifeless religiosity of Jesus' day because it's all just a bunch of worthless garbage. If you recall, the Pharisees, uh, they were the religious elite of first century Judaism, uh, and they were the self impressed self righteous folk uh, the The title Pharisee uh literally means the separated ones uh, they they saw themselves as the separate ones we 're super holy we 're super holy, and we stand out from the rest of the pack it 's the classic holier than thou but ironically. As Jesus will show, they were the most spiritually empty and lifeless people on the block. Because all of their religiosity, all of their outward uh, appearances of commitment, it was just external ornamentation while being devoid of a true inward spirit of love and joyful obedience to God. You see, this is the nature of empty man-made religion. It is hollow inside. why so we call it hypocrisy. Because what's on the outside doesn't match what's on the inside. It's an empty shell. And Jesus really goes to town to expose this hypocrisy of the Pharisees, particularly on this day when one of the Pharisees invites Jesus over for dinner. Now, before we get to what happens, notice right out of the gate, the genuine grace and kindness of Jesus that is extended to everyone and we know that Jesus dined with tax collectors and prostitutes and all kinds of sinners and we praise him for that but make no mistake about it as you see here Jesus was willing to dine even with the pharisees despite how much they rejected him and were openly hostile to him Jesus extends himself truly to anyone even to his greatest self-righteous enemies, so that, again, as we saw last week, no one has any excuse not to put their trust in him. There is no good reason to refuse his love and mercy so free and willing. And so Jesus graciously accepts the invitation, and he goes and he reclines at table, which is just another way of saying that he sat down at the dinner table, But when Jesus came and sat down, the Pharisee was appalled by him. Why? Because, verse 38, because Jesus did not first wash before dinner. Now, the reason for his shock was not a matter of hygiene. It wasn't because Jesus forgot to wash his hands with soap and water, or he refused to use hand sanitizer before the meal because they were all going to share a big bowl of nachos. And so, hey, please wash your hands before you put your hand in uh, to grab a chip. It wasn't a matter of hygiene. But the washing, which Jesus didn't do, was a ceremonial washing, a religious custom of the Jews. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Just to the book right before Luke, uh, chapter 7 of Mark. uh, In recording a very similar situation, but a, a different occasion, Mark provides a bit of context as to what the big deal was regarding this washing. And that's in Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, This is a different day where Mark says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now this is talking about ceremonially defiled, ceremonial uncleanness, not hygienic. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. The Pharisees had this custom of ritual cleansing of their hands, of even furniture and utensils, so that they might be continually ensured that they were ceremonially clean. And well, ceremonial cleanness, it was a legitimate requirement in the Old Testament law. Okay? It was due to the unique circumstance of the Old Testament age in which God's holy presence physically and manifestly dwelt in the midst Of the people of Israel, as he dwelt in the tabernacle and later the temple, and the question in all of this was, "My goodness, how is this arrangement going to work? How can the holy God commingle and dwell in the midst of an unholy, sinful people? Something's not right here. This is not going to work out." And God knew that. Of course, He knew that, but by His grace. God made a provision for his unclean people to be able to draw near to him by observing certain ordained means of ceremonial cleansing. God was saying, if you do this, if you do what I've prescribed, I will regard you as clean. Now, of course, there's nothing about these procedures in and of themselves that had some intrinsic purifying effects, but all of these different laws for cleansing, they were to be done in faith And God was looking at the heart and and they were to be done understanding and believing what God was teaching them through it. For instance, why did God command the slaughtering of animals as a necessary component of worship in the Old Testament? It's not because the blood of bulls and goats secretly had some mystical cleansing properties in the physical substance. But if you read the book of Leviticus carefully, you'll notice that these animal sacrifices come with very specific instructions for the worshiper to lay their hand on the head of the innocent animal that was to be slaughtered. Why? Well, the laying on of hands was to express their identification with this animal. They were identifying themselves with this animal which was about to be slaughtered. So as to say... I should have lived this spotless, blameless life of this animal, which is why God always instructed them to bring an animal without blemish. But here, instead, is this innocent animal that God has provided to take my place. So that by its vicarious death, I might be able to draw near to God, sinner though I am. And you can see how all this was pointing to the ultimate fulfillment of the gospel in Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God who takes away sin by taking the sinner's place on the cross. But You see, this was the true inward purpose of all of these laws of ceremonial cleanness. God was giving his people spiritual lessons. And so all this to say, ceremonial cleanness, was a real Old Testament requirement. And so the Pharisees weren't wrong to be mindful of the law's requirement for them. However, here's the million dollar question. Where in the Old Testament does God instruct His people to ritually cleanse their hands before eating? Who wants to be a millionaire? The answer is this. Nowhere absolutely nowhere it's not written in the bible it was never required by god but just as mark tells us it was the tradition of the elders it was a cultural custom that was propagated by the jewish elite it was a man-made extra biblical requirement god had nothing to do with it and yet as the so-called spiritual leaders of Jewish society, they imposed this extra-biblical requirement on everyone. And so the true and living faith of the Old Testament degenerated into this system of man-made rules. This was the machinery of first century Judaism. It was a twisted false religion and not representative of the Old Testament, ironically, because the Old Testament was for them. But all it was... It was just a pretense of true godliness and obedience as Jesus brings it to light in verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Whoa. That's kind of harsh. Whoa, where is this coming from? it's it sounds like it's kind of coming from left field. Why would Jesus speak so harshly? Well, we need to understand why the Pharisees added to the word of God in the first place. What motivated them to go beyond the requirements of Scripture? It's because of the fundamental mindset of religion, which is self-righteousness. Earning your way into a righteous standing. You see, the Pharisees, they trusted in themselves. They trusted in their own goodness and own virtue. They thought they could be good enough for God if they tried hard enough by their own efforts because, oh, they were such good and holy people inside, weren't they? And and look, this is what makes religion, religion. This is the essential underpinning of every religion in the world that you must be a good person you must do enough good things you must have a certain aptitude of morality you must not do certain bad things and then therefore if you fulfill all these requirements then you will receive fill in the blank heaven nirvana reincarnation whatever this is the exact same formula for every religion on earth do this and therefore you will earn that And that's precisely how the Pharisees thought and operated. They they, they had to earn their status of holiness by how meticulously they could keep every jot and tittle of the law. But look, if that's the case, if that is the working premise, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Eh, You you might might mess up. Well, we got to really better our chances. How then can we ensure that we will succeed? Ah, here's what we can do. Put even stricter rules on top of God's word so that if you keep those stricter man-made rules, then you can be confident that you won't have infringed God's law. If I can stay within these fabricated boundaries then God won't be able to say anything against me. He can't judge me because I'll be completely blameless. He will owe me, therefore, the blessings I've earned by my fastidious compliance, even going above and beyond. That's how all these man-made rules began. It sprung from this mindset. Hence, how did they get to the washing of hands? It was never written anywhere. Actually, the only talk... Talk about ceremonial washing was for the priest before they entered the tabernacle. But, but, but you see the mindset here. Well, if God checks how well I've kept the cleanliness laws, then, well, I, I want to be sure that I'm in his good graces. I, I, I can show that I have been super righteous by washing everything, even couches. And God can't punish me. But, but, but do you see this self-righteous attitude? It is, it, it is utterly devoid of love for God. Which, by the way, love for God is the greatest commandment. It's the summary of all of God's law to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. But the spirit of such thinking, the heart attitude, there's no love for God. There's no love and delight in His commandments. It's contrary to Psalm 119.97, which says, Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. That's not how the Pharisees thought. Instead, their attitude actually despised God's commandments. It only saw God's commandments as burdensome threats of punishment. And in so doing, they viewed God as a harsh dictator rather than the Almighty Heavenly Father, whose every command was his loving instruction to his children for their blessing and for their life and for their joy. But you see, self-righteous religiosity always has a secret inner thought life that is vastly different from what you might see on the outside. On the surface, the religious Pharisees, well, they appear to be very devoted to God. Very committed, very sacrificial, very attentive to the Bible. But on the inside, their hearts were far from God. There was no heartfelt devotion. Their heart didn't trust God. They, they, they didn't honor God in their hearts and in sincerity and in honesty. They actually reviled God And this mismatch between the secret inner thoughts and the visible outer actions, this is what Jesus always noticed about the Pharisees. Hence, he calls them out and says, you clean the outside of the cup, but you don't care for the cleanliness of the inside. Can you imagine if you put your favorite coffee mug in the dishwasher, and when it was done, out it came, and you set it on top of the counter, and... Uh, the outer part looked pristine and glistening, but you look inside where all the liquid is supposed to go, and there's all this leftover food chunks that swirled around in the dishwasher. You see some old, soggy Thanksgiving uh, stuffing, and it just looks like a sewer. It's, just, it's nasty. Can you imagine anyone saying, well, but you know, the outside is perfectly clean. That's good enough for me. That's what matters. And so, hey, let me just pour the coffee in and drink it all with uh, the with, uh, intricate... Uh, uh nice substances anyway, and this is enjoy this. That's disgusting. But that's what the Pharisees were like. You clean the outside, but you don't care for the inside. As long as the outside looks fine, as long as the mere external actions are carried out, that's all you care for. But you fools. You fools. Don't you know that God looks at the heart? Verse 40. Didn't he who make the outside make the inside also? You don't think God is able to see through your actions deep down into your motives and attitudes and desires? And so Jesus says, verse 41, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. If you want to talk about real cleansing and cleanliness it's about what's in the heart see jesus was saying this oh i know i know y'all give a lot of money to the synagogue i know y'all give a lot of charitable contributions congratulations but guess what god knows your heart and he sees that you're filled with greed on the inside oh they were. You know, the Pharisees, they, they may have given a lot of offerings to the synagogue, the, the little church, but they had ulterior motives. All the contribution, it was, first of all, to maintain their elite status in the religious community. That's how many churches are today. Whoever gives the most money, they get the highest seat of leadership. ho! Oh, that's a bad recipe. But not only that, the Pharisees, it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus says, I know you, you devour widows' houses. They were using their position of leadership to defraud those who have very little and ravage their estate. And so Jesus is saying, oh, good job, you fooled everybody. Everyone thinks you're so giving and so generous and so sacrificial, so committed to God. But guess what? God knows your wicked hearts. You love money. You live for money. You serve the God of money. You see, this is what we call hypocrisy. The inside doesn't match the outside. And the folly of religious thinking is that we think we can fool God just by doing the outward actions. Attending church. Giving offerings to the church. Listening to Bible teaching. Doing good service to others. Serving in the church. But the real question is, are those actions coming from an inward heart Of true devotion and love for God. Out of a true and living faith. Or are we fooling ourselves into thinking that we can fool God? Be warned. God made the outside and the inside. Man looks only at outward appearances. But the Lord looks at the heart. But this was the evil of the Pharisees. Despite how holy and religious they appeared on the outside. They thought they could deceive God they may have deceived everyone else but Jesus was not deceived and so the Lord continues by pronouncing three woes and the first is in verse 42 he says but woe to you Pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and you neglect justice and the love of God you do all the outward stuff you go even above and beyond because nowhere in the Old Testament does God command Uh, the tithing of every herb. But what does Jesus focus on? Justice. That is integrity. Godly integrity. And love for God. These are internal qualities of true godliness. That's what's important. You know, one of the greatest and easiest ways to detect this Pharisaic spirit in ourselves is to ask ourselves, Am I growing in Bible knowledge and becoming more committed with increasing responsibilities in the church yet to the neglect of growing in love for Christ and therefore growing in Christ-likeness, growing in Christ-like character? Am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are internal qualities. People might not see them all the time. But God sees them all the time. You know, I've met people over the years I've met some people who are so committed to study the Bible. And they will spend hours and hours reading books, learning theology. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, first impression of them is, wow, they are really learned. They really know their Bible. They must be some excellent Christians because it looks really impressive and godly. And these people know a lot. these people some of them they can be very harsh very strict rigid judgmental not very gentle they're often very difficult to talk to just even at a basic human level you don't see much kindness you don't see much joy exude from them they don't know how to laugh because they have no sense of humor oh that drives me nuts I can't stand that. I I need to laugh, guys. And they're they're always shaking their head at the unbelieving world, but they don't know how to befriend their non-Christian neighbor or, or co-worker. I imagine that's what the Pharisees were like. But what was Jesus like? Oh, he knew how to reach anyone. He knew how to befriend anyone. There was a warmth and a tenderness about him the grace of god emanating from his eyes his mannerisms i bet you that when jesus smiled it was a really heartwarming smile sinners were drawn to him and we love him for that don't we and because that's how he's been to us hasn't he You see, true godliness is not measured by all the things you do. Anyone can imitate the outward actions. That's easy. But true godliness is measured by your increasing likeness to Jesus. You see, you know that you are truly reading the Bible with the eyes of faith when the Bible is reading you and changing you and conforming you into the image of Christ. That is what God cares about. Our hearts, our internal qualities of true godliness. And it's not that God cares about the inside to the exclusion of the outside, but notice how Jesus says, these you should have done without neglecting the others. It is both the inside and the outside, because the true inside produces a genuine outside. But the problem of religiosity is that it's content with just the external appearances. Hence the second woe in verse forty three. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Oh, they loved all the public recognition. They loved getting the VIP seats in the church. They loved to sit in the front. Now I know today these days it's the opposite. The VIP seats are the most in demand are the ones in the back, and everyone feels uncomfortable sitting in the front. But back then they loved sitting in the front. You know why? Because everyone saw them. Actually They never faced the pulpit. The the seats in the front, they faced everybody else. Can you imagine that? Oh, but they loved it. Why? Because at every synagogue service, everyone would look at them. Wow, look at the pious ones, the separated ones, the Pharisees. And they received the glory. They loved all the adulation. He loved being the center of attention. But if we zoom out a little bit more, the broader principle of what Jesus is saying is this You guys care more about what people think of you rather than what God thinks of you. And that's your problem. You're perfectly satisfied. With the approval of all the believers around you, all the Christians around you, if we could put it in today's terms, when deep inside, you have no real living faith. You don't actually care about God's approval. If you did, if you cared about God's approval, you'd you'd stop this sham. But as long as the people at church, so to speak, think you're an honorable person, a good Christian, a committed church member, the fact that that's good enough for you reveals that you don't really care about God, that you have no relationship with him. You know, that's also alluring about religion, right? Just follow the rules. Do what you're told. Here here are the grid lines. Just follow them and you'll slot right in. It's really easy to emulate. That's what's so appealing about it. You'll assimilate yourself nicely with everyone else doing the same religious routine and people won't question you. They'll assume that you've got a good heart, you've got a good sense of morals and a good purpose for life and you're golden. But again, what good is favorable public opinion when God sees something entirely else on the inside? When he sees a dark and formless void? Everyone thought that the Pharisees were the epitome of holiness par excellence. And the crowds esteemed them so highly from how they appeared to be, but God was disgusted with them. In fact, notice what Jesus says in this third and final woe in verse 44. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now what's Jesus talking about? Well, in the Old Testament law, in Numbers chapter 19, verse 16, the law says that if you come into contact with the dead, you are rendered ceremonially unclean, and you need to go through ritual cleansing. Again, this was not an issue of moral uncleanness per se, but this was a ceremonial matter because it was representative of a spiritual lesson. In this case, this law was to teach the people of Israel that God is the God of life and that He hates death and that He has nothing to do with death such that any contact with death renders people in a state of being unable to come in contact with God until they go through ritual cleansing by the means provided by God. It was actually this show just the, the hope and the excellence and the perfection of who God is. The God of life eternal, the giver of life, the author of life. He has no part with death. And so, because this was the law, a faithful Jew would be mindful to not touch a dead carcass or a tombstone, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And so it was the common Jewish practice to mark graves, very clearly uh, to 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 make it very clear here below is a dead body i know this just looks like cobblestone or something but it's actually a grave someone's buried underneath so don't touch it it was marked very clearly lest anyone step on it touch it on accident and they had no idea that there was a dead a body buried underneath and so they incur uh ceremonial uncleanness now you see what jesus is getting at He's telling the Pharisees, you think you are so clean and holy and set apart? No, 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 no. You are like unmarked graves. I feel sorry for everyone who comes in contact with you because by doing so, you make them unclean. You think you're such a blessing to the people? You instead defile them with all of your twisted religion by which you have sabotaged the true faith and knowledge of God. Jesus was saying, you are a wicked, ungodly influence upon these people. You make them unclean. Oh, the irony. You see, Jesus hates the propagation of false religion. Even if it uses his name. Take Roman Catholicism, for example even if it purports to teach from the Bible. But religiosity, self-righteous, works-based righteousness, it arouses his righteous anger. Why? Because it obscures the grace of God. The the, the legalistic, self-righteous, pharisaic hypocrisy is the very opposite of the gospel. And Jesus hates when people are kept from seeing the beauty of his grace and the purity of his gospel. You see, God is not this burdensome tyrant as the Pharisees made him out to be. With all of the obligation, with all of the heartless obedience that they felt they had to do in order to earn some kind of appeasement before him. But God is the God of infinite love and grace, overflowing with kindness, that He would come to rescue such filthy sinners like us at the cost of His Son. You see, the Gospel tells us plainly, we are evil and unclean inside. That's the truth. Don't even try to pretend. Don't, don't even try don't attempt to put up a front god knows our hearts he knows every foulness and sinfulness within he, he, he sees the corrupt nature of our hearts he knows every hidden thought he knows every secret deed that no one knows And he knows that our sin is infinitely filthy before his holy eyes and that there is nothing we can do to cleanse ourselves. But even so, God says, come to me. You can't cleanse yourself, but I can cleanse you with the blood of my son. Whom I have sent to take on the uncleanness of sin. That is why he suffered and died on the cross. Because he took the place of sinners whom he came to save. That he might take on the punishment meant for them. And if you confess your sin and trust in what Jesus has done. You will be cleansed inside out. This is the blessing of the gospel. We do not need to pretend before God to be more holy. God knows we're not. And frankly we all know we're not deep town but if we simply confess that we are not holy and that we are in fact sinful and filthy and look to him for mercy and help and grace then god wraps us with the garments of his righteousness the righteousness of jesus christ which he alone earned by his perfect human life of sinless obedience this is the glorious paradox of the gospel that he clothes our nakedness and shame only if we confess that we are naked and shameful in our sin. Only when we confess that we are unrighteous, then does God cover us with the perfect righteousness of Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we are secured in the unchanging state of being beloved by God forever, and nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Jesus, You see, true salvation, true religion as it were, is only for those who humble themselves as sinners before God and entrust themselves to His amazing grace. And it is they who see the gospel as so beautiful and His grace so amazing that they are motivated by love. This is what imparts a true love for God. None of that fake religious pretense, but a real love for God that sprouts from having tasted and received the wonder of His love first for sinners like us. Only the gospel, you see, only the gospel can produce the inward substance of genuine devotion, affections for God, which then springs forth into Authentic outward actions of obedience. You see, religion says, Obey, and therefore you will receive God's acceptance. But the gospel says, You have received the love and acceptance of God perfectly, infinitely, eternally, forever, simply by faith. God has given it all for you, God has done for you what you could not do. Therefore, obey in love therefore live to trust and submit to the one who has shown himself to be so trustworthy and so loving in all of his ways church has the gospel birthed in you this love for god which the pharisees never knew or is there simply dead, lifeless religion within you of just going through the motions? If that's you, why don't you just give up the act now and confess the truth to the one who sees it all, but even so, to the one who is willing now to cover you with his love in Christ. And if you're here and you, you've never professed Christ as your Savior, you need to understand That you are not as righteous as you think you are. And you will not be able to withstand God's righteous judgment. You're not a good person. I am not a good person. No one is good. No one is righteous, Romans chapter 3 says. This is the bad news. But the good news is this. That Jesus offers you His righteousness. Take it. Receive it by faith. Confess your true unrighteousness and receive the gift of His righteousness. In the weeks to come, Lord willing, we'll continue unpacking more of this mindset of man-made religion and the many different ramifications that arise from it. As Jesus is not done yet, He has more to say. But church, may I exhort us today to beware of the Pharisaic spirit. We're all very prone to it. We're very prone to somehow making the Christian life into a workspace system, into thinking we need to maintain our status of favor and approval with God by how we act as opposed to acting out of the freedom that comes from the eternal and changing love of God in Christ. Beware of living under the burden of the law when you have been freed from the law to be able to joyfully do the law. Church, cling to the gospel. You must preach the gospel to yourself every day and pursue the true religion of love and devotion to God who has proven himself to be the wellspring of infinite love and the fountain of every blessing. Never forget that we love because He first loved us. And that order will never change. He will always love us first. And so embrace it daily by faith. Rejoice in the wonder of His love that you might be empowered by His grace to honor and glorify Him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Our God and Father of all grace and mercy, we thank you that even through this backdrop of the Pharisees and their dead religion, that we might be reminded of the richness and the wonder of the gospel. Thank you for being so kind and gracious a Savior. And Lord, as we now prepare to take the Lord's Supper that you have ordained for us we ask that you would set apart these ordinary elements of the bread and the cup and use them to remind us of the finished work of Jesus Christ who laid down his body and poured out his blood for us that we might have the blessings of the new covenant and that we might be those who are not under the subjugation and the burden of this religious mindset of man-made religion, but that we might daily walk in the joy and blessing of the gospel. Help us to believe this better by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.